Hi, everybody. I'm Ralph Benmergi. Welcome to Not That Kind of Rabbi, my regular podcast, where we talk about spirituality through the lens of human beings and what they do. Some are artists, some are politicians, some are just citizens of this world. And by the way, I'm very adverse to the use of the word taxpayers in any conversation. It is a commodification of everything and everyone. Oh, taxpayers, taxpayers, citizens. Taxpayers just have rights. They're customers. They expect good service, even if they don't want to pay for it. Citizens have obligations and duties. One of the things I found in spiritual life and in religious life is the idea of restraint and discipline has pretty well evaporated from our world. And you can see this manifesting itself in this pandemic, that people are conflating freedom with fortitude, you know? I want my freedom. No, no, you want to do whatever you want to do, and you don't want anyone to tell you what to do. And one of the things about religion I've always found interesting is that in our time, in the time of the individual, as opposed to the collective, we are very adverse to the idea of being told what to do. Don't tell me it's Sabbath and I have to turn everything off and I can't go driving and I'm not supposed to work or do house chores. Or Don't tell me that, but think about it. If the entire world took a 25-hour sabbatical every week, think of it even in green terms. You would reduce GHG emissions in the world profoundly, 7% per week by doing that, by just shutting it down, by just saying, no, I don't need to go here, do this, cook that. I can just be. In our religion, in Judaism, the one I'm from, There's six days of doing and one day of being. And if you could add that every week, that's pretty good. Instead, we sort of save it up for, you know, when I retire, I'm really going to live the life I always wanted. When I get to the weekend, I'm really going to get to do the things I wanted. I don't know if that's a great idea. My dad was 65. He was three days from his retirement as a nursing assistant at a hospital. I went to his retirement party. I was working in Winnipeg at the time. I came home, had my first kid with me, the little one, one of the first of four. And I had this kid with me. And I leave him at my mother-in-law's. I go to sleep that night and I get a phone call. And my father's had a massive stroke. Three days from retirement, his bags were packed for a trip to Venezuela with my mother to see relatives. And that three years after that, he finally passed away from a series of strokes. So do you wait? Do you wait for this life to happen when you finally get to it? You know, do you put away the things that make you you to do the things that keep you alive? They're tough decisions. They're not easy. You know, it's like when somebody says to their parents, I'm going to, I said to my parents (laughs) when I was 18, you know what? I think I'd like to be an actor. My father looked at me like I was nuts. It was like, are you kidding me? We came from Morocco. We, 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 we're killing ourselves here and you're going to be a what? My mother, on the other hand, surprised me and said, oh, it's about time. <clears throat> Little did I know that being an actor was really not what I wanted to do, but it set me on a course to do the things I need to do. So if you're waiting to live your life, I would highly encourage you not to. Even if I don't mean drop everything, throw your whole life away, change it. I'm saying start to yearn for the things and let your voice, your inner voice tell you that that yearning is real. 
And then who knows how it'll manifest itself. It might be small little changes. It might be some big change. But as, as the saying goes, you might as well be yourself. Everybody else is taken. So think of it that way. I want to introduce my guest for this week on Not That Kind of Rabbi. I have admired his music for a very long time. It spoke to me the first time I listened to it, not just because he's found this magical way to bring East and West into the same instrument, into the same voice. It's the way he did the songs. It's the way he approaches the, the fact that he is in the middle of something, not the only thing. I've seen him perform, I've listened to his music, and I've always wanted to speak to him. And luckily through social media, I managed to go, ha, I'm over here. Um, then about eight months later, <laughs> he said, sure, let's talk. So uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm happy we didn't have to wait eight more months. We're here. Harry Manx is my guest, multi-instrumentalist, blues, Indo-Asian blues, folk, uh, legend. Is that is that right, Harry? Do I have it right? You can call me any bad names you want, Ralph. I'm good with it all. <laughs> <laughs> um, so where do you sit on the live the life you, you really believe in? Well, I'm, I feel blessed. I'll start with that, you know. I feel grateful because um, the existence has been kind to me, you know. It allowed me to follow my passions and to to use those passions to hopefully uh, make people's lives a little brighter in, in small ways or inspire them. And uh, I suppose that's, uh, that's part of the whole blessing is that I have that desire to bring something to the people that's not uh, any kind of uh, catharsis on my, on my part. It's simply uh, maybe reflecting some of the beauty I experience in life. And, I think people pick up on it. They give me that feedback. When I watch you play, uh, one of the things I always uh, seem to resonate with with performers like you is the lack of, and this doesn't mean the lack of musicianship, the lack of effort, the lack of push. Do you, are you aware of that? Yes, um, one one guy described the show as a lack of artifice, you know, right. or or, uh, or effort to you know to push what I'm doing onto the crowd. I think that's a result of the fact that I discovered that I need to be into it for other people to be into it. So to that end, um, I put my head down and I dig deep and I go to that place where the the music and I are, there's no separation. And that's usually what people get into. And they call that, in fact, the hairy zone. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever that means to them, I'm not sure. But yeah, I know what really. it means to me. It means getting into it. And don't worry about what's out there. Go inside and play that, that song. So yeah. is it letting go or digging deep? Yeah, it's uh, probably a bit of both because um, in a sense, it doesn't take any effort. It doesn't uh, take any effort on my part, uh, but it, it comes about when I, uh, when I can bring all my focus 
to the music and to the song and to feeling it, you know. If I was to play the song and not really feel it, I think the audience uh, would pick up on that. And it also sort of indicates, you know, there's something about uh, when I listen to music, I can always hear the musician. I can tell something about that person right. uh, by what they're singing, how they're singing, their choice of song, their choice of notes. It's very revealing and maybe a lot more than we consciously recognize. That's a, uh, a vulnerable place to be. Yes, in the beginning, I, I was a little, uh, you know, I always assumed the world of the blues was a bit, um, I don't know, uh, living on the surface somewhat, you know, at first. But then as I dug into it, I realized that the history of the blues is that, you know, it's a, it's a soul crying out, uh, you know, to be recognized and, and to be heard. So I dug deeper into it and uh, I thought, well, I'm going to have to wear my heart on my sleeve a little bit here if I really want to speak to the people, if I want them to hear me. And also, I, I, I like that in other artists. I like that when they don't hold back. They don't pretend to me that, you know, there's something that they're not. Uh, that's where I'm drawn to them. So I use that as my reference. You know, when you said that just now, I was thinking there, there are some who can find a way to go by that, you know, so that they can access that. But there are some, and I, for some reason I flashed on Janis Joplin, and I thought to get there she had to get lost. Yeah. She had to get so drunk, so stoned, that all you could see was the rawness of her. Right. Yeah. Like, what you see basically is the is the alcohol and the heroin uh, because you know when you ingest something so much of something it's that that speaks through you i feel yeah. uh, you know in the same way that if you were a meditator that might speak through you too if you're if you were tuned into consciousness or spirituality that also would probably be uh, seen through what you're doing so it's very important that, um, you know, when I, I talk to young musicians sometimes and I say, you can only go so far with the music. And if it's feeling like it's hitting the ceiling, then you have to look at yourself and bring and dig deeper into that and bring that to the music. Then the music starts to take on a whole other dimension. So when it comes to your evolution spiritually as a person give me a little sense of i mean you and i are i think almost exactly the same age so <laughs> give me a little sense of you know little harry manx moving through life and <laughs> little harry manx deciding a harmonica looked good and a guitar looked good and then a really weird guitar looked good <laughs> tell me about that isn't it so easy when you look back at the trajectory you've been on your whole life you can you can understand so much like uh, how one thing led to another um, I had my beginnings in the world of music as a fan of the blues in this in the 70s I was a, you might know I was a sound guy at the Elma Combo Club uh, back then and I toured with you know <clears throat> many blues bands and also bands like Crowbar I was a sound guy for a while and a road manager and so I got to know blues and that, that sort of became part of my approach to music. But at the same time, I was 
originally attracted to, uh, like I was having issues like all people do when they're young, psychological things that I didn't understand, emotional things. So I got into psychotherapy early on, like gestalt therapy, primal right. therapy. Yeah, I did that. Yeah. My late teens, it's sort of the, the first step, you know, towards uh, knowing a little bit about your interior landscape. Yeah, Arthur Janoff. Arthur Janoff. Yeah, yeah. So, but you know, I also came to a point where I realized that uh, I'd, I saw people in the uh, therapy institute had been there for 15 years and they were still spinning their wheels. Right. So I thought, you know, maybe there's a way to jump off this. Uh, and that's when I discovered meditation and it was drawn to that, uh, that I, the idea of it. Was it TM at the time? The no, I, I, I got into uh, Yogananda at first. Oh, yeah. Uh, autobiography of a yogi. Yeah, yeah. Came out early in, the, I don't know, sometime in the 60s or 70s. He was an awakened being and he sort of, that book planted the idea of India in me. And um, uh, so I was sort of, I had these two strange passions, blues and India, uh, and Indian music uh, eventually. So that, you know, that progressed over time, but I ended up going to India in the 70s. You spent five years there, right? Well, I went back in 86 and I stayed till 98. So I was there actually. Oh, wow. I was five years with my teacher in Rajasthan. Yeah. I want to know what are some of the things that, some of that journey. I I, I want to understand that. Yeah. The first journey in the 70s was to India overland from London. I hitchhiked, I rode a bus, I did everything. (laughs) I spent a year there just bumming around. Literally, I, I ran out of money. So I was just like, really, I didn't care. I wanted the adventure. I didn't care about the, the challenges that I had to go through. By, And I stayed that year. And I went back, came back to the West. I actually came back to England instead of Canada because I'm also English. And I decided I would get my life together on a physical level, then go back and stay a long time because something about India was calling me, I could feel it, and it was in my bones. What was calling you? Um, I wasn't sure. I couldn't say exactly at that time. I know the music moved me deeply, um, and I didn't meet any awakened beings on that first trip, uh, but I, I met many sadhus who were kind of renunciants of the world, who mostly of, of Hindu origins. And, uh, but I knew uh, there was much more there. And when I went back in 86, I, I moved into the ashram in Pune, and I was there about eight years. Let me ask about sadhus, because there are people who believe that the way must be one of removing yourself from the mundane, banal, material world. And there's others, like in Judaism, that's not looked upon well. That's, no. <laughs> that's just no no you got to get married you got to be in life you got to have children like yeah. the gooey stuff has to be in there you can't just walk away but yeah. but I, I i have no judgment of either i'm just really curious so what did yeah. you what did you learn about or for or against what that idea is well in that first trip i was really in that sadhu uh, mindset in fact i hung out with some of them up in uh, in Uttar Pradesh, was that you don't need, you shouldn't have any attachments in life, you know. 
But you know what? It didn't. It didn't increase my spirituality. It didn't increase my my uh, feeling at peace. In fact, it had the opposite effect. I, I worried. I suffered. You know. Hmm. So that that was a good learning, and I had to do that maybe to learn that. So I don't equate uh, having nothing or doing nothing with spirituality at all anymore. In fact, I find that uh, it's fine, and it's probably good to embrace the challenge of having a a day-to-day life and having right. a family and having work because if that stuff can knock away your sense of spirituality how much is that worth how much is how good is that you know how deep is that so i'm one that embraces a full uh, commitment to life and uh that's not to say that you don't have to tread uh, on a a, a a spiritual path you do you but it's um it's not those things that is the problem. It's, uh, you know, what my one guru told me, he says, be in the world, but don't let the world be in you. Which mm. to me, like, you know, uh, don't, don't get over-involved in everything. You have to be discerning about what is you and what is all that and what is all this. I, I'm pretty good now because I feel at peace, so I can... If you're at peace, you can be with all sorts of people in all sorts of places. It won't, it won't change who you are. It can't change who you are. But then there's that other piece, which is there is no who you are. You know there, what I mean? <laughs> we have to use language, uh, you know, to say these things or to point at them. But you're, you're totally right there. Um, pure consciousness. Uh, it's no who. It just is. And... Um, you almost have to let other people describe you to know what. Yeah, because you can get all hung up on Harry. You know the people who talk about themselves in the third person. Yes. Harry Manx doesn't drink red red yeah, wine. Well, he that, only drinks white wine. That doesn't help the third person thing. It doesn't really help. But you know, it's it's true that um, <clears throat> we don't want to get too hung up on the idea we have of ourselves. Yeah. That's definitely the mind talking. Now, uh, I definitely. Uh, differentiate between the mind and the being you know the being let's call it the pure consciousness um, it doesn't need any uh, any description it doesn't need any good or bad or anything like that it simply is there um, the challenge for me is uh, allowing that to be there and not getting lost in the ideas I have of myself or of my world around me well in the religious path there's the idea of moving from the egoic part of our life, which often is the, the kind of, you know, high octane fuel that gets us to take the gig that nobody wanted and do the thing that nobody wanted. And, you know, that pushed us through. And when people just went, well, I can't really put you in a genre. <laughs> and then you have to be able to go, I'm going to keep going here. So you, you kind of need that, that, you know, the I'm Harry Manx guy to, to go for a while there. But, yeah, it's, it's funny. No, you, you, we all have our, um, let's say, our personal identity. And um, the thing is, whether that is who you think you are or not is what makes a difference. I, I maintain, like everybody has to maintain a personal identity, but ultimately, I, I know I'm also pure consciousness. And so uh, that personal identity... Uh, it's not a big deal. It doesn't threaten. 
You know, but it's part of what we, when you just said we kind of need that, we do because human beings need a particular, a universal idea mm -hmm. and then a particular way of being in that idea. Yeah, I would look at it like the form and the formless. You know, we need a, we have a right. formless life, a form life, and uh, that involves everything around us and also what we, the ideas we have and the thinking. But we also have this formless existence, and I, I think there's the there's maybe the goal of spirituality to recognize and embrace that formless existence. So, did you you did twelve years in India? Yes. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I sound like the customs guy on the way back. <laughs> so, Mr. Mix, you did, did twelve years in India. What was that about? Yeah, just, just stamp the thing, okay? You know, nobody. <laughs> um, what kept you there that long? Well, uh, you know, at first I was living in the ashram, and I'd sort of was so good washing dishes and sweeping like everyone else, and it was just uh, such a beautiful thing to become part of that community. And um, but then I, I realized that I had still had my passion for music. I was a guitar player. And so I started to dabble with Indian music. And then that got stronger. Eventually, I, I moved to Rajasthan and, and studied with my teacher, Vishwa Mohan Bhatt, uh, on a full-time basis. And, and uh, then my what journey... What was the instrument? What was the instrument? Um, it's called a veena. The veena is like uh, the oldest instrument in India. It's, it's sort of a cross between a sitar and a slide guitar. Right. Hmm. So you use a slide... Your fretboard play it is in the lap. like a sitar. Yeah, you I play, play it in, in your lap, lap. like yeah. a Hawaiian guitar, and it has 20 strings, and I, I slide the bar on it. Playing it is one thing. Knowing the Indian music is also another thing. I would imagine that there are times in your life where you just put that on your lap and just started playing, and you are gone. <laughs> In the beginning, I used to hypnotize myself or put myself <laughs> in a trance when I was practicing, and I'd find, you know, five minutes had gone by, and I'm there just loving this silent space that I discovered. Uh, yeah, it's it's very, and people who listen to it, they also have that experience. Yeah. I, I get that when I'm listening to your stuff. I'm just like, we could just do this for another, you know, I don't know, 124 bars. That would be good. Because the last years before I came back to Canada in 2000, I was playing in the ashram for meditations. And so I was sort of in that, uh, you know, that mode of, of playing so as not to disturb the silence. It may be to increase the presence. Right. Uh, and I, that sort of worked its, well, its way into my blues music when I showed up here I found people were getting really spaced out <laughs> and uh, in a good way they like that yeah you know, yeah yeah they could be drawn into it that deeply yeah because it, it you know you can perform at people yeah you can perform with them or and you can just perform in a way that there's really very little separation right yes Yes, yes. I I often feel that, you know, I don't know if it's different from other artists, but I feel the show is about the audience and maybe all of us, uh, but it's definitely about the audience and getting them drawn into something uh, 
and keeping them there for the entire show. Uh, that's my thing. I know people drift in and out of meditative practice. Do you drift in and out or do you find yourself regularly meditating? <clears throat> I, uh, now I'm on the, I'm on the path of Advaita, which is a, is a school of um, uh, spirituality in India. That's, it was sort of the, some of the people that are well known for that are Ramana Maharshi or uh, Papaji and now uh, Muji, uh, who's quite popular on, on the internet, Muji. Uh, but Advaita path is not a, a path where you do regular meditations. It's sort of a, a more a process of recognizing what you are and what you're not. For instance, hmm. the activity of the mind, you know, uh, less identification with all that, more like watching all that pass by and becoming aware that you are that one watching that pass by. Yeah. So it's just establishing yourself as more as pure consciousness. And it doesn't, it's not something you, you, you practice for a, a fixed period of time. It's, it's a, a way of being all the time that you need to be with that as much as you can. And of course you will lose it sometimes, but whenever you can bring yourself back to that place. You know, with performance with people, there are performances where you, a person comes off stage and they can tell you exactly how it went and where it was good and where it was bad. And I always kind of saw that as not a good sign because I thought, well, you just watched yourself perform <laughs> and you know exactly. And when something, there were other times and even in my own performance experience where I'd come off a of stage and I'm not one for being disingenuous about that minute after you walk off i came from stand-up so you either were funny yeah. or you weren't right yeah. uh, so i i come off and i will turn to to someone i i know and say was that all right was that okay yeah and i'm not fishing you know for compliments i'm just like i was so there i don't know what happened and it may have sucked <laughs> <laughs> so it's, when you're talking about this i'm starting to think <clears throat> knowing that you're watching it pass by and letting it go probably leaves you sometimes going, I don't know how it went tonight. Exactly. Perhaps. Yeah, exactly like that. And it doesn't matter. Um, yeah. I don't care much, you know, <clears throat> I do what I do and I, I hope it sticks. <laughs> <laughs> I leave that up to the people, but uh, mostly uh, the feedback I get is uh, it's working for them. Um, but that's big, doing what you do, and because the need to be loved and the vulnerability of, of being one who gets up in front of people uh, to do something that they do uh, can really lead you to a place of needing reassurance in one way or another. And, you know, I mean, applause is applause, and a dead audience is a dead audience. Yeah. Uh, they're hard to miss. Uh, yeah. But as a spiritual practice... I find music that is sincere and honest in its approach is disarming. You're not trying to, you like, you're in a pyrotechnics going off, you know. You know? Yes. So many ways to present music. And um, I think it always, you know, as I say, you can hear the musician in the music. It always is sort of re representation of who you are. I mean, I couldn't play heavy metal music, you know, if my life depended on it. 
Though I'm not. I'd love to see it. I quite like it, but uh, I'd love to see that. (laughs) White Snake with. Oh, I met you know at one festival in in Australia. I went backstage, and there was uh, Steve Vai. Oh yeah. With a few other wonderful guitar players doing the three G thing, he was sitting there on the sofa. I don't know, I, you know, I have no filter. I went straight towards him. I said, "Amazing, Steve Vai," and he was so happy to because of my sort of sincerity, uh, prompt, <laughs> impromptu sincerity. And he stood up and shook my hand and said, "How are you doing?" And yeah, I can be I can be a fanboy any day with some great players. Yeah. So you said something at the beginning about blues, that it was sometimes, or it was, surfacy. Yeah. Well, then again, you know, it depends on who's playing. You know, if if you want to be just background music in a bar and um, you're you're not playing anything that's uh, unique or original, perhaps, and and you're just plowing along with the song because you learned to play the guitar or the bass, or whatever, then. Um, it, it can sound like, you know, if you ask people about blues, they, they have a kind of cliche ideas about it, you know, and what the theme of the song is and the nature of the song. Um, so you really, it's not to say the art, the art itself is like that, but it, it depends who's playing it. Because some people play it and just a few words or a few notes, man, it's right under your skin. Right. Moving you, you know. So it can be something delivered on the surface or it can be... Uh, something delivered really from the guts or from the heart. So I'll give you a parallel. In Jewish mysticism, Kabbalah, mm-hmm. you're not supposed to study Kabbalah uh, unless you're over 40 mm-hmm. or completely uh, uh, conversant in uh, Torah study and Talmud study, which is the commentary on, on the Bible, uh, and that you have a family, you're, you're married and have a family whatever mm-hmm. way, shape, or form. Uh, but you're not supposed to look, you know, start studying this stuff because it's not right. And right. when you were t- said about that thing about blues, I thought whenever I would see, except for Jeff Healy, whenever yeah. whenever I would see like a 20-something blues player, I think, no, 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 no. There's some sorry here. You have to have some suffering here. Yeah, you know, you can parrot the art, you know, and on the surface it all sounds good, but... Uh, there's some lack of depth to it. And um, people can be impressed by, you know, speed and dexterity. Yeah. Point, but uh, will they will they let that music change them or change their life or impact them emotionally? I'm not sure. Do you, so if you worked the Elmo doing sound, did you do uh, uh, sound for Wayne Cochran? Do you remember Wayne Cochran? The yeah, I do. The King of Soul? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I mustn't have been there during that time. But oh, I too bad. He was upstairs, and Prakash John was playing bass and oh, slapping yeah. away. Oh, and yeah. First time I'd ever seen a bass player break a string. It's like, how the hell did you break that? That's just like cable, man. <laughs> oh man, Prakash John, he he's like a legend around Toronto. Oh yeah, great, great player. player. Well, you you said before those who play the instrument and you feel them coming through the he. Yeah, it's coming through the instrument. You know, there was a whole yeah. bunch of people like that. And that's you know, that's you have to find a way to get yourself into the music. But it's true that too many have only can get past their 
their their mind and their busyness by getting really out there, you know, with the drugs and the booze. Um, that's that'll do it for some people. It'll speak to some people, but not to everybody. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, it's a crazy dance, right? That yes. we're in. It's a really crazy dance. Yes. And I sometimes feel we have too much time to think about it, and sometimes I don't think we have enough life to think about it. Yeah, that's that's you know that's a fair assessment, and uh, I find that uh, in these times that are where there's a lot of adversity, you know, challenges. I think that sometimes some great things come out of these situations. Like nothing, nothing that's really of value has changed for me in my life until I've had a, a crisis or reached a point where I couldn't carry on in the old way. So I see those kind of challenges uh, and that adversity as, as a blessing in a way, you know, because without it, sometimes things don't change. And um, you people who whose music reflects uh, uh, some deep uh, history, you know, Woody, uh, Muddy Waters, uh, yeah. when he just played a few notes, you could hear that his life hasn't been all fun and games. He's just, just right there for you. So um, I don't, uh, I'm not against uh, life getting tough for people. And I think it sometimes brings out resources they don't even realize they have. So you said you were, you said something big where you said, you know, you, you're at peace. Yes. Okay, there's a lot of people here who would pay a lot of money to be at peace at this point <laughs> in their lives. So let's not just drive by that sucker. <laughs> um, how how'd you get there? What's it like? Well, you know, I didn't get there, and and you can't get there. In fact, the I that I used to be maybe is not here, and in, as a result, the peace is here. Uh, if you know what I mean, you have to get past uh, who you are or who you think you are. That's kind of, uh, you know, that's uh, that's the cost, let's say. You have to disappear a little bit. Your your ego and your, your ideas and your beliefs and all these things, when they fall away a little bit or when they're recognized for what they are, then what's left is uh, is peace. And uh, many people arrive at that place uh, through their religions. Uh, and it, you could probably imagine it's, it's not necessarily the religion that gives them that. It's the kind of the, the effort they brought to it or the changes that it inspired in them. But uh, I can say that um, I don't have a lot of ambition anymore. Maybe it's the age or, or maybe it's uh, the journey I've taken. But uh, I'm pretty good with quiet things, sitting in the morning and looking out at the trees. I can do that a lot. And uh, I don't need to fill my moments. There's a sort of a, a peacefulness there. And everything else is icing on the cake, whatever comes to me. I told my agent he was struggling to find work for me. And, and I said, no, no, I'm good with whatever comes my way. Uh, I, I don't mind. And, and that's the other thing is, Gratefulness, you know, that when that arises in you, uh, that brings a, set of, a, a sense of peace because you're, you're not unhappy about what life has given you or you're not uh, wishing it to be any different. You're, you're happy with this, you know, that, that can't be taken away, something internally. You know? 
yeah, you can take the work away, you can take whatever, but there's something internally that's uh, never going to be taken. And if you discover that, it's, it's, uh, it's very peace-giving. So what place do people and relationships have in that? Well, those are great places to, to struggle in, for starters, you know. And that's the, that's the situation for many of us. Uh, the relationship inspires um, us to have to look at ourselves and, and to see the best and the worst in us. And, mm. um, and through that, changes come about. You, you can realize that um, whatever uh, is around you, it's not necessarily you. And when that uh, uh, awareness comes into play, then uh, you can stop uh, trying to influence the world around you so much and just sort of sit with what is. Acceptance is an interesting thing because it's not that I agree with what's happening. It's more that I accept that this is the situation and, and there's a certain uh, peaceful effect from that. So when somebody comes over for a cup of coffee and starts talking about how screwed up this politician is or how bad this thing is. And what, where do you come from in that conversation? Uh, I don't have a lot of, of energy for that. I mean, I can, I can listen, you know, but um, this is mind activity. Unfortunately, a lot of that is mind activity and it's fine. If you, if, if you're an awakened being, you can do that. Uh, but if you're not, you know, you can know the whole world, but if you don't know yourself, yeah. none of that, nothing's worth much. Yeah, monkey mind. Monkey mind, exactly, you know, and all, all the spiritual practices point towards that, you know. Uh, you don't have to stop the mind, just uh, be clear that that's not who you are, you know. This kind of, uh, this kind of dialogue about, well, he, sh he said this and I said that, and what does he think he is, and blah, blah. This kind of thing, we often think this is who we are, but if you would just step back from watch all that, you'll see that it passes by and you're still there. You're still so, there. You know. Well, John Cabot's in. Wherever you go, there you are. There you are. There's <laughs> so much truth to that. So maybe discovering uh, who you are is, is a pretty essential thing in life. You know, As a goal, I don't think there's any higher goal than that. You know, you can... You can be famous, but when you go home and lie in your bed, you know, who are you then? You yeah. Know, nobody writing any adoring words for you. <laughs> and if you get attached to those adoring words, you're also going to get attached to the yeah. guy because you're all full of shit. <laughs> yeah. I used to say that to people all the time. You know, they'd get a great review, and I said, remember that you just believe this guy because yeah, right. the same guy in about four years is going to say, he's, he, he's lost it. He's lousy. Yeah, so yeah, don't yeah. attach. You know, I would go home to my kids and they. I had a very wise friend who said to me, uh, What other people think of me is none of my business. <laughs> yeah, these are hard things for people. Would you think if you lived in the middle of Manhattan or London or that you could hold this center that you have now? Or do you think that being yeah. in a natural setting is a necessary piece of? Finding peace. No, no, it isn't at all. Because what you are, you have to be everywhere you are. Anytime you are, you know. You can't say, oh, yeah, you know, 
now I'm peaceful because uh, I'm at home with the trees and everything and tomorrow I'm in a crowd. No, um, in a way, uh, it's good to go in Manhattan to, to really know if that peacefulness you, you <laughs> think you are. You know, as Ramdas said, you know, if you think you're awakened, go spend a few weeks with your parents. <laughs> he was a nice Jewish boy, Ramdas. He understood. <laughs> he knew he knew how bad it could get. <laughs> <laughs> said the first when they had him committed, it wasn't because he was walking around in robes calling himself Ramdas. It was because he was giving out money. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What an Some interesting life he had. Work. Yeah. People won't work, you know. But yes, uh, you have to be as you are everywhere. You know that there's some uh, gurus in India that would give their sermons in the marketplace, and they would tell the people, you know, you have to find that place of stillness, which is not going to be affected by all this. This, and uh, then you know it's it's true and it's real. It's not dependent on anything outside of yourself. And um, but mind you, having said that, you come to appreciate the quiet and the to nature so much more when you're at peace because if you're not it's just uh, another place to get on the phone and yeah believe about something from. start the leaf blower get yeah. the chainsaw <laughs> right drive the pickup somewhere to get some stuff <laughs> yeah. that's, that's what i see you know i go to somebody's cottage or something and i think well it's very nice here and then the guy in the next dock is <laughs> <laughs> The world would never be perfect enough for you to do Well, that's the thing. We keep thinking if we just had the right setting and the right yeah. moment and the right yeah. the right words were said to me and nobody phoned me with upsetting news that I'd be great. But yes. that's all from without. What you're talking about is a, a journey within. Totally, yeah. And I, I think that's really uh, something important. That's an important, very important point for all of us. And in fact, you know, if people would spend a bit of time and uh, find that place where they're at peace. Um, it enables them to move in the world a lot easier. Things bother me a lot less. Um, you know, I remember times way back of the touring, you know, and everybody, every fool I met would bring out the worst in me too. Um, yeah. So that also inspired me to try to, to become focused or grounded or realize that, the truth that I am uh, that would en enable me to move in all those places uh, without being blown by every little wind that passes by. It's a hard thing to do. Well, um, until I guess said, you practice enough, right? Well, somebody said, you know, the truth is very simple, but people are complex. <laughs> so, so there's so, that, you know, it's more about losing what you're not to be what you already are, I think, than trying to achieve something. You know, this is uh, this is another maybe false idea that we awaken people have to achieve something, but in fact, they're just not what they're not. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's not. It's not. A, it's not something you acquire. It's not something you cling and grasp for. It's something you yeah. have to stop trying. For. Yeah, but these do. kind of things, you know, they only they're only apparent when they're apparent. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you know, uh, life can be um, very confusing. You know, we're we're at an age now where this is autumn. You mm -hmm. know, there, there are leaves coming down from our tree. Yes. Right. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Where does that take you? Well, I'm I'm always sort of in the moment, you know. I'm more in the now than not. Um, so I have no need really to flash back on the past and, and to try to project myself in the future. I think a lot of that is leads to anxiety and, uh, and emotional yeah. stress and all these kind of things, you know. But in the moment, uh, this moment is, is always working pretty well for me these days. And, you know, even when it's not, there's some part of me that watches that it's not. So um, uh, I don't struggle much, you know. I, I had, uh, I've had my crisis and those crisis points reached a peak that brought me over something, you know. And so that's... Crisis that's, of health? Also, yeah. Yeah. Two bouts with cancer and uh, liver disease and all these things, uh, which I've managed to, well, I didn't manage, but <laughs> they managed to uh, be dealt with in a good fashion. And so it's almost like I went to the edge of the, and looked over the cliff, you know, at, at death's sea. And um, that, that itself uh, can help you shift your priorities so that you really don't want to mess around. You, you want to make sure that uh, you've attained everything you your highest goals in life. You want to yeah. make sure. I, I'm always fond of saying this is not a rehearsal. Yes, true enough. Right. I didn't. I often didn't take uh, awakening of consciousness seriously as a young man because, and rightly so. You want to just gain experiences and you want to live out. You want to get live enough that you might get fed up with it and start to search for something that that doesn't change. That's more constant. Yeah, you got to be sick and tired of being sick and tired. I think. Totally, right? Totally, totally right. And it's, it's nothing nothing wrong in that journey. I I see you know that it's it's a necessary part of the evolution. If you don't if you don't get enough of something, you you won't be able to to drop it. I just flashed on. Uh, remember, uh, Nitty Gritty Dirt Band did uh, "Will the Circle Be Unbroken" one yeah. and two. And this, uh, they, they were using takes, uh, you know, in the studio before they'd start the song. And John Denver was going to sing it, and so it goes. And uh, they're they're warming up and getting ready. And uh, somebody goes, uh, "Is this one practice?" And Denver leans into the mic and goes, "They're all practice." <laughs> <laughs> I remember, you know, I had a I had a show. Uh, I've done a few shows. Uh, we played the Kerner Hall together, me and Dave Lindley. Oh, Dave Lindley. And I said to Dave, um, <clears throat> should we get together in the afternoon and practice? He said to me, practice is for cowards. <laughs> <laughs> he used to come to the Winnipeg Folk Festival and just kick ass and leave. Yeah. He was so right. Practice is for cowards. I, I looked at that and I said, okay, Dave, I'm good. Let's meet on the stage. <laughs> and, uh, you know, of course, uh, if you feel like you can, you can, you know your instrument. Um, you'll be fine with that. Yeah. Well, you know, I like when, when blues and folk and those things become jazz, right? <laughs> That's what we call it when we don't know what it is. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's uh, Lee Major, who was a broadcaster in Winnipeg, came up with the title for a show that was my favorite title of all time, which was "Music to Listen to Jazz By." Isn't that great? <laughs> Freaking great. I love that one. Uh, 
I, I, I love uh, I love all kinds of music, and jazz is something that I can really dig, get into when I'm driving. Sometimes I really just like oh, yeah? jazz. It, it doesn't demand a lot of listening. You know, this is the thing as a musician. I couldn't have music on if I was trying to fall asleep because I start studying the music. My right. mind will go to it and say, "Oh, I know that chord. That's a G major seventh there. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, time change. Oh, that's you know yeah. oh, a bridge there." <laughs> that's a little late all right <laughs> yeah, yeah no it can get pretty nutty um, so yeah. when you so you said you had that look which is a highly spiritually informative look at that as you called it that sea of death mm. do in your con is consciousness timeless and formless and the yes. soul continues was here before is hereafter and it's just as Ramdas says visiting in the spacesuit that happens to have hairy manx on it is that what's going on here yes exactly well said ralph well said exactly that timeless and formless you know um there's you know there's so little language to describe some things you know you can kind of point at it and you can't talk about it as if I am that, you know, that, that's, that's very difficult. And yet, uh, language sometimes is all we have to, to, uh, to indicate something, you know. Uh, people know uh, your level of consciousness, whether they're aware of it or not. When they meet you, they might feel like expanded or they might feel more at ease with themselves. Or not, they can feel the opposite. So, yeah. You know. Yeah, no, it can be like, hey, you can get defensive. Yeah. Oh, don't you just have your shit together? Yes, yes. It's like, okay. <laughs> and you know, there's very there's very few people that I would have these kind of discussions with because um, um, they're not discussions uh, from the mind, about the mind. No. Uh, and, and when it's not about the mind or from the mind, there's so little to be said really, but uh, again, we just can point at some things. You know, in the... Kabbalistic uh, view, there's the four worlds that we live in at all times, the Asiya, the body, and you, you're grateful for the body still working in the morning. Uh, and then there's the Yitzira, which is the heart and the yearning. Yeah. And then there's the Bria, which is the thinking, and then the Atsilut, which is the imminent universal flow, the Shefa, as they call it, of energy. Mm -hmm. and you use and you use this word before intention what intention you bring so in hebrew the word is kavana mm -hmm. so what kavana you bring to this integration of all four and the realization that we often move into one of these worlds for sanctuary and often it would be for in our rational age it would be into the mind mm -hmm. i will talk my way in and out of this yes 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 how many books i've read Oh, I read yes. the Tibetan yeah. Book of Living and Dying and the Tibetan Book of the Dead. I've read them both. Yes. <laughs> you know? yes, or, yes. or you can be too much in, in the heart, too much in Yitzira, yeah. and, and not be able to. So the integration, the body, you know, like God is in the laundry. So when mm -hmm. you went to the ashram and washing dishes became a spiritual practice, mm -hmm. as opposed to a chore, mm -hmm. right? So yeah. it's that integration that I, I guess I yearn for, and I, I would imagine it is in many people's lives, a spiritual quest tends to fall right up to the top. Mm -hmm. I want to get hit by lightning. 
I, I mm -hmm. want it all to change. I want to see the light, you know? Yes. But, you know, awakening is, is, is not for the seeker. It's from the seeker. Mm. And that's a realization that some people will be lucky enough to have in their life, you know, that uh, this one that's seeking also has to disappear. And yet, that's a necessarily part of the journey. You know, that's, that's very necessary. Um, yeah. It's funny, some people, we all use the word I, you know, and uh, somebody was saying that I is the smallest letter in the alphabet, and yet the whole world hides behind it, <laughs> you know. And we okay. use the word I without really considering what it refers to. Is this I, is this, that this, this body or this mind that's talking, or what is it, you know? Um, <clears throat> when you establish yourself as, as consciousness, uh, it's hard to use the word I. You use it, but not with the, the same, um, same effort or the same meaning as many people use it, you know, you have to have something to refer, as we said before, you can't talk about yourself in the third party. It's just a little, it's just a, a party trick, you know, it's, yeah. it's not, it's confusing. But yeah. in some sense, there's a great truth to, to speaking about yourself in, in a distance like that. Yeah, as, as there's humility in that. Right? There is, yes. These kind of things are uh, the effects maybe of, of consciousness, love, humility, kindness, um, compassion, empathy, all those things, you know, uh, they don't come from ugly behavior and, and unconscious people. Those things, you know, they're really a reflection of a, a person's own uh, journey and if they've reached some level of consciousness. Mm. Too many words, eh, Ralph? No, beautiful, beautiful. No, <laughs> lots of wisdom, I'm, I'm really appreciating it. You know, it's, it's funny because I came to see, I say, I, I went to see you in Hamilton and I, I sat there and I just thought, oh, good. I, I've never seen Harry live. I listen to his music all the time. It's going to be great. And I had a wonderful time. And then uh, I, I always intuited just by that performance. It's like, did you ever see J.J. Kale perform? At Massey Hall, yeah. So I was in a horrible cover band when I was a kid. And the guy who owned the Delta Theater in Hamilton happened to, be, to book J.J. Kale. And he was the brother of our bass player. So he let us open for him doing, you know, Time Won't Let Me and all this stuff. Just stupid. Oh, wow. Right? You know, we're, <laughs> who'll be next in line by the king. So like, just whatever, right? We're doing these songs. So we were up there doing that and all that. And uh, it was a snowstorm. And so uh, David, the guy who owned the theater was like, he's not going to show like he's in Toronto and like they're telling people not to drive really no, don't do not drive. And about 25 minutes before he's supposed to be on, he, he walks in with the band and the, my friend David runs up to him and goes, Oh man, I can't believe you're here. And Kale looks at him and just goes, Hey man, it's a gig. <laughs> and then they, they, he goes, well, well we didn't have time to talk about the setup. What do you want? He goes, I want a semicircle. He goes, yeah. okay. And he starts setting up the semicircle. And he goes, so I'm putting you right there in the middle, right? And he goes, no, no. I'm second from the end over here. Yeah. Uh, put that guy in the middle. And I thought, there's no ego here. This, this is, you know, just J.J. Kale. Like what you, what you heard is who, you, who he is. And he's just sitting there and he disappears into the band. Uh, and when it's time for him to, you know, lean into a, an SM58 to sing a little bit, he does it. And it's great. 
but it wasn't the J.J. Gale show. And I'm not coming. It's snowing. He was just there. You know, yeah, I saw that same tour, and I at first I didn't know which one of the guys was. Yeah, Gale. I was asking my friend which one. Was yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's like somebody singing. I know they are. <laughs> it, it, it's great to see. Uh, yeah, that um, he doesn't uh, think more of himself than he should. He just he's just present with the music, and in a way, you know. If the music is really pure, it's almost as if the person on the stage disappears and only the music is there. Mm. Um, and uh, I, I think he had a lot of that. You listen, you heard that when you listened to him too, because he wasn't the first guy that would play, you know, blues. But when he played it, it just had something very special. Yeah, and, and I will say the same for you, my friend. That when I hear you, I'm, I'm not listening to just anybody. I, mean, I hear your voice when I'm there. Listen, I got to go. And I, right. I really, uh, I'm honored that you spent some time with me. Uh, I always want to give a blessing at the end of one of these. And I, yes. I, I bless the consciousness that you are. I bless the universe that we share. And I bless the music that comes from your soul and your heart and goes into mine. And I really appreciate it. Amen. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Beautiful. Well, you take care of yourself, Mr. Manx. Back to you, brother. Lots All right. Of take care. <laughs> That's beautiful. Harry Manx, M-A-N-X. If you haven't heard Harry's music, please just Google the man and uh, check out his music. It is a lovely combination of uh, South Asian beautifulness and blues and some folk. It's really great. Uh, so uh, I'm, I'm so happy that I got to talk to Harry and I'm so happy that you've listened to this uh, episode of Not That Kind of Rabbi. If you want to get in touch with me, at Ralph Ben Mergy is the easiest way to do it. Try the last name, mangle it a bit. It might show you, do you mean? And then you'll find me. So at Ralph Ben Mergy. Uh, and please listen to, uh, how many do we have? A 32, I think it is. 32 episodes of Not That Kind of Rabbi and counting. Uh, I love doing them. And uh, and if you know any sponsors out there who are thinking, hey, I'd like a substantial and interesting spiritual show, please show them the door to my office, which is virtual, and we'll see what we can do. Love to find some sustaining partners in this wonderful endeavor that uh, Toronto Mike and I do together. So uh, you take care of yourselves and take care of each other. And uh, look out for little pink stuffy toys. That's about, they're really weird. Uh, I'm Ralph Benmerigi. Bye.
podcast has been produced by TMDS and accelerated by Rome Phone. Rome Phone brings you the most reliable virtual phone service to run your business and protect your home number from unwanted calls. Visit romephone.ca to get started.